Hey guys, good morning. So good to be able to have the opportunity to connect with you today. It's been a little bit of a rough ride in terms of all the uh, technological support systems. We're glad we got it uh, functioning so that we can engage. And I'm grateful for my teammates. We, as Mark said, we met yesterday. This is my office, by the way, over at the university. Um, and we met here yesterday, Mauricio and Jonathan Viet, uh Zoom and uh, Mark to kind of test drive this so we could go Facebook Live, not believing or necessarily uh, thinking that Zoom could provide all that we needed. But uh, here we are. We're grateful. Uh, we were here 20 minutes till nine thinking we're good to go. And it just took a little bit longer. So thank you for your patience. Um, and uh, how do you like my Sunday look? I like this look with Mark with the sweater, a little more relaxed uh, up here to my uh, my left uh, you're right. Uh, I don't know if you can see that, but that's 1985. That's John MacArthur, Jerry Falwell, uh, Vernon Brewer, Vice President of Student Affairs from Liberty. I had just come out here as the Dean of Men, and and uh, that person up there you may not recognize if you can see it uh, with the really dark hair is yours truly uh, 30-some years ago. Uh, so it's uh, this is my uh, workspace, and I uh, thought we could broadcast from here be uh, maybe a little better technologically and Mauricio's got some microphones here and some recording stuff that hopefully will make this uh, fruitful for you. Well, Mark read the uh, resurrection story and I want to say happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, The declaration of the inspired word of God is he is risen uh, just as he said and All over the world today, that statement will be made with confidence and clarity and much authority, and God's people traditionally will respond, perhaps as you already have today, with the words, He is indeed. Um, He's alive today, and that is our focus today. And the truth is, Resurrection Sunday is a time we punctuate annually, but we all meet on the Lord's Day, and every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrected Christ. It's why the early church met on that day. That's why we meet on Sundays. Uh, this was Resurrection Sunday, and to commemorate that, moving from the seventh day, the day of rest, Sabbath, the early church moved to Sunday in celebration and in honor weekly of the recognition that Jesus Christ, who died for sinners, Uh, on uh, what we call Good Friday, uh, came alive from the dead on the Lord's Day Sunday. Um, And that's what we celebrate, and that's what we all share much much joy about regarding the fact that our Savior's alive. And I want to invite you to John chapter 11 today, and I want to emphasize a consequence of uh, the potential and the power that Christ possesses in his resurrection uh, reality. Um, I was looking through the the book of Acts, uh, just referencing the early sermons, uh, Peter's first sermon, uh, housing in in, uh, Acts chapter 2, this grand declaration that God has raised him from the dead. I want to read it. This is, you're turning to John 11, but I want uh, to read uh, Acts chapter 2, the first sermon, the early church. Peter stands up, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus 
the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs in which God performed through him in your midst, just as you also know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So that's the gospel record. But then listen to this, verse 24, and God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So the declaration, first sermon of the gospel, Jesus Christ nailed to a cross, willfully, uh, really, let me say it differently, as a result of his own willingness, godless men willfully nailed him to the cross. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, and that's what we celebrated Friday, was the, the Lamb of God, our substitute, God's perfect Lamb, took upon himself the sins of all those who he would save. So every sinner that Jesus saves, all of that weight and consequence, that burden, guilt, shame was laid upon him as the scapegoat. And Jesus bore on the cross on that Friday the consequence of eternal, pure justice. Jesus endured in those six hours what hell cannot satisfy. When he said it is finished, he paid for what an eternity in hell cannot pay. He, he satisfied divine justice. And then as a validation of that act and that work, God raised him from the dead, recognizing that the payment was accepted the ransom truly satisfied. And by grace, through faith, everyone who believes in God's work through Jesus Christ enjoys forgiveness of sin because the debt's been paid. No debt is owed. There's no, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because what the law couldn't do, the good works of the law, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And Jesus became uh, the satisfaction. And all who believe enjoy that release and that forgiveness. And even more than that, or as much as, as that, because that's, that's awfully big, we are imputed or gifted a righteousness not our own. The righteousness that he possessed as the obedient, perfect son of God, perfect man, was gifted to us, and we enjoy the righteousness of Christ, not because we perform well, but because he performed well, not because we satisfied the debt, but because he satisfied the debt. And this day, what is called all over the world Easter Sunday, my preference is Resurrection Sunday because of the uh, kind of the secular connection of the word Easter, the, the pagan connection. But on this Sunday, we celebrate the full satisfaction of the work of Jesus Christ because God raised him from the dead. The Father, in his infinite power, resurrected his son from the grave. But there's something else I want to highlight today, and that's in Romans chapter 1. And, and again, you don't have to turn there, but Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared 
the Son of God with power. Um, Verse 4, Romans 1, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And I want you to hear this, not just because the Father resurrected him, but this passage says, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, was resurrected from the dead. So you have the Father, the first person of the Godhead, raising his son. You have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, by the exercise of his power, resurrecting the Son. And then over in uh, John chapter 10, I want you to see the third person of the Godhead involved in this transaction. Listen to the words of the Apostle John recording the record of Jesus's own testimony. And Jesus says this in verse 17, for this reason, this is John chapter 10, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Emphasis on the I may take it. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Now listen to this. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. I want you to recognize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the collective work of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because the work that we celebrate today is recognizes resurrecting life-giving power in the person of God the Father, in the person of God the Holy Spirit, and in the words of Jesus, in the person of God the Son. And I think that declaration, this authority that Jesus Christ possesses and enjoys, informs what happens as a validation of that capacity, really a preview in a familiar story with Lazarus in John chapter 11, which is where we're going to focus our attention today. Because in John chapter 11, a story that we're almost all of us for sure are going to be familiar with, before Passion Week, just before Jesus goes back to Jerusalem to endure, well, enjoy a triumphal entry, but then endure the the cross, before he goes back, He is doing ministry in Perea, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan, and then up into Galilee. And while he's there, he hears that friends of his are in trouble, particularly a friend named Lazarus, whose name means God helps. And Lazarus is sick. He's severely sick. And Lazarus and Mary and Martha, who live in Bethany, uh, are, are coping with this difficulty, this unexpected physical challenge. And it's so severe that word is sent to Jesus, wherever he is doing his ministry, apparently some distance away, to come to be aware of the fact that Lazarus is sick. The expectation is that hearing that his friend Lazarus was sick, he would come back and would intervene and heal him like he had healed so many. And as you know, Jesus delays and he doesn't return. And Lazarus dies. When Jesus finally comes after four days, so on the fourth day, after having heard that Lazarus was sick, 
Jesus arrives and Martha comes out to meet him. And she makes this statement to Jesus in John chapter 11, verse 21. Martha therefore said to Jesus, my brother would not have died if you would have been here. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she believed that Jesus had the capacity and the power to change the reality that she was dealing with and her brother Lazarus was dealing with. And now that Lazarus has died, she's still confident that if Jesus would ask, the father would respond. And then Jesus makes this, I think, core and key statement. This is one of the I am statements, identifying him for who he is. Notice what he says in verse 25. Jesus said to her, and this is our focus today, it's not that I can resurrect. I want you to know I am my identity. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So in John chapter 11, Jesus, who in John chapter 10 says, I have authority. I have authority to lay down my life. I have authority to take up my life. I am the life giver, and I am a death defeater. He comes to John chapter 11 to punctuate that same reality about his identity and capacity. And he says to Martha, I am in my person, by virtue of who I am, my nature, my identity, I am the death defeater. That's what resurrection is. It's the reversal of death. That's what I do. I have that capacity. I have that sovereign ability. And I am the life giver. This passage in John chapter 11 is implications of that reality. And it's the implications of a resurrected Lord who in his own identity has the the power and the capacity to defeat death, to bring life as the source of life. And he speaks into this kind of human narrative. He takes that reality and presses it into a human condition of misery and mystery. And I wanted to speak out of this passage today to just highlight some some really treasure, mind, if you will, from this passage that brings hope and help practically into a reality that perhaps many of you are sharing or will share or know people who are struggling today with difficulty, uh, real-life challenges, and housed here in sickness and this temporary death of, of Lazarus is some principles that come, I'm going to call them lessons from the death defeater and the life giver. Lessons about misery in life, because stuff's happening. People are dying, people are sick, people are losing their jobs, uh, people are facing challenges, perhaps you're like that. And into that reality, the life giver, the resurrection and the life, the death defeater, the life source beginner speaks into that in a practical lesson. And I wanted to give you some things that I think Jesus, the master, the resurrection and the life would say 
in the face of some of the practical realities typified in these challenges from sickness to the severity of death, which I'm going to argue encompasses all of the challenges of life. It may not be a physical challenge. It may be a financial challenge. It may be a relational challenge. The point is that Jesus has the capacity in his power and in his sovereignty because of his identity to address those issues. And there's some principles, some lessons that I think could be helpful today on this Resurrection Sunday. So what would the life giver and the death defeater say in the face of a challenge, sickness, setback, yea, even unto death, what would he say? And I want to give you some things that I think will be helpful. The first thing I think Jesus would say, number one is, as he looks at your reality, because I'm the resurrection and the life, because I am sovereign and have infinite capacity, in other words, I rule everything, including the, the power of life and death, Here's the first thing I think he would say to you. I have purpose in your difficulty. Key words, I have a purpose for this. I have purpose in your difficulty, no matter how severe it is, whether it's sickness, which leads to temporary death, or any other kind of challenge. This is an example of the fact that, listen to me, I know I can, I have purpose, and I have a plan. And he says in John chapter 11, verse 4, having heard the report, I'm just going to read highlights out of this section. Uh, verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, and again, his name means one whom God helps. Lazarus of Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was the Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And by the way, that hadn't happened yet. That happens in chapter 12. This is a reference to her because this was written after that event. And John is just highlighting where they were. This is the Lazarus whose sister was Mary who did this thing that is about to occur in the chronology of John, but had already occurred historically when he was writing. Verse 3, the sisters therefore sent to him saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness, here's the key verse, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So this problem isn't about its natural outcome. This problem primarily is about its purpose from God's divine perspective, its eternal outcome. This is about, plainly stated, this challenge, this sickness, and we know Lazarus is going to die, so even unto death, is for the glory of God. I believe the death defeater and the life giver would say this pain, this loss, this death is for the glory of God. This is not random. It's not a bad break. This is purposed, and it has a purpose. In other words, work will get done through this difficulty that will not get done and does not get done in any other way. 
This difficulty will uniquely and exclusively reveal truth about God. It'll bring him glory. It'll expose him in a richer and more wonderful way. It will exclusively reveal truth about God that will shine light on his unrivaled person, bringing glory to him, which is right and good for you which is best, because you're going to be be the beholder of that glory. And when God's glory is on display, it brings benefit, rich treasure and benefit. So this, this particular challenge, and I'm going to argue all circumstances that God allows and brings into your life, no matter how difficult, from minor to major, from sickness to death, from income challenges to bankruptcy. God purposes in his resurrection, sovereign capacity as the death defeater and life giver, those things to bring glory to him that allows you to benefit by seeing something about him you otherwise wouldn't know. I believe Jesus would say, this is for the glory of God, and the benefit that that will bring to you and the honor that it brings to me. Let me say two things that Jesus wouldn't say housed in this passage. Jesus wouldn't say, this is happening to you, this difficulty, because I do not love you. Or that this difficulty is happening because you do not love me enough or because you did something wrong. I want you to notice verse 2, the record that John highlights here about Mary. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. And as I said, that's in John chapter 12. She takes an alabaster box filled with liquid perfume, worth 300 denarii in the assessment of those who witnessed this act, which is 11 months wages. And the Mary spoken about here, whose brother is sick, whose heart is heavy, whose life is challenged because of this this sickness and this loss, has has a heart which will lavishly love Jesus, which will invest in him as an expression of that bountiful affection out of love, something of great value. Secondly, Jesus, it's noted here, when the disciples received the message, verse 3 says, the sisters therefore sent to him saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. So it's not just Mary who loves Jesus, but it's Jesus who loves Lazarus. Listen, God has a purpose for difficult things. It is not when you suffer difficult things to be understood as, well, then God must not love me, or I don't love him enough, or I did something wrong. There's no evidence here that anything was done wrong. What's present here is a difficulty coming upon people that plainly love him and that he loves. Listen, hear me. This is not because they did not love him enough or because they did something wrong. And that's sometimes we're tempted in our humanity or even as children of God to believe that we've done something wrong and this difficulty is a consequence of it. 
And we believe the lie that God's cold shoulder when we need him is, is deserved. I want you to see that this difficulty and loss affected the ones that lavishly loved him. This is a family in Luke chapter 10 that administered to him and had ministered for him. The reason, but right before his crucifixion on Passion Week, before he comes to Jerusalem, this is the house that he comes to stay in. And then he, he, he enjoys a dinner with them at the home of Simon, uh, and where this lavish work of love has transpired. So I want you to understand this truth, and let me state it this way. Jesus allows those that love him to lose those that they love, to allow those that they love to endure sickness. And I believe the second thing that Jesus would not say is, this is happening because I do not love you, because that was housed in verse 3. Clearly, he loved Lazarus. Not only did they believe it, but the scripture declares it. Look in verse five of John chapter 11. Jesus loved, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So not only did the sisters think that he loved them, the Bible says he loved them. So whatever's happening or whatever Jesus allows, it certainly isn't because they don't love him. And it's certainly not because he doesn't love them. And we're often tempted to believe that God is not loving to allow difficult things, hard things, severe sickness, severe challenges, that somehow he does not love us and therefore allows this bad, this bad situation to engulf and painfully impact us. This verse plainly declares that they knew he loved them. It was not that Jesus did not love them, but rather that he was glorifying God through this. It was about glorifying himself and the, as the son of God. It was about revealing who he was, what he could do. I think I said this earlier. This is the seventh sign in the book of John. This, this is the sign that says, I have power over everything. A sign says, this is a pointer, an indicator of who I am. When he turned the water into wine in John 2, he displayed his power over quality. When he healed the official's son, he showed his power over space because he didn't even have to go. He said, look, it's done. Go on home. He's better now. When he healed the paralytic, he showed his power over time. He'd been sick and paralyzed all of his life. When he fed the 5,000, he showed his power over quantity. It didn't matter how big the need was. He could meet it. It didn't matter who, how many had it. He could provide for it. When he walked on the water, he showed his power over nature in the Gospel of John. When he, when he healed the man born blind, he showed his power over the adversity that was demonstrated through that illness and through satanic powers. And then when he raises Lazarus, he is showing plainly his power over death. This was about putting Jesus' power on display. It was about putting his identity in undeniable display. This was about a preview about his person, his authority, and his capacity, his sovereignty, and his ability in an undeniable way. So when you encounter difficulties, I think a lesson from the death defeater and life giver would be this. Hey, listen, I have purpose in this. That purpose centrally is to bring glory and honor to me and 
to put on display realities about me that you don't know. This is about allowing me to be known and about you knowing more about me. Though this situation is very painful, it has a high purpose to reveal the glory of God and Jesus to us and those around us. The glory of his power and the glory of his love and mercy. This is why God's this is why God's will is always good, acceptable and perfect. Not because it's without pain, but because it's always about glory. His glory, which is our greatest good. And you might say, well, hey, that's that's easy for Jesus to say. He's not living this difficulty. Well, listen to John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, when Jesus, in anticipation of his own difficulty, his own unto death reality, talking his anguish and pain, and he reflects this way in, rea- in light of the realities that are his forthcoming. Verse 27, now my soul has been troubled deeply, which means I'm deeply shaken. My soul has become troubled, deeply shaken. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That's a question. I'm shaken because of the realities before me. Should I say, save me from this, deliver from me for this, from this? No, listen to what he says. But for this purpose, this immediate purpose, this sovereign situation, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name, the ultimate purpose. There came a voice out of heaven saying, Father to Son, I have glorified it. In other words, in your life. And I will glorify it again through your difficulty and death. Jesus will endure significant anguish and pain, loss unto death. And it is for the same purpose, for the glory of God. And he's saying, I I don't want to be delivered from that. That's why I came, that God might be glorified. So it's important to understand that the chief end of all things in the work of God, who is sovereign and able, is to purposefully reveal his glory and to benefit you from that revelation. The chief end of all things is God's glory and God's honor. And I guess I want to punctuate that on this Resurrection Sunday. I don't know what's happening in your world today, but I know the one who does know what's happening. And I know that he has capacity and ability, and he is exercising providential sovereignty. It is purposed. All of this COVID-19 and all of its implications is purposed. And I'm going to argue on this Resurrection Sunday because of who he is and what he can do, sovereign over everything, nothing chaotic, everything organized according to the grand plan of God, that it's designed for the purpose of bringing him glory, not if it's difficult for you because you don't love him enough, not because he doesn't love you, but rather because he does love us and because we do love him. He is utilizing these realities as the resurrection and the life, the one fully capable in terms of his identity and capacity 
to enter into our time and reality, to accomplish things that otherwise wouldn't get accomplished. And there's a second thing about this purpose that I want to punctuate here on this Resurrection Sunday in this text. The second thing I want you to understand is this purpose has another specific design, and that is your growth in your Christian faith, to perpetuate faith. In other words, the elevating of God's glory through your circumstances even if they're really difficult, is always designed to grow you in your capacity to believe him and know him. I want you to look at verses 14 and 15 in this text of John chapter 11. Actually, let's start with verse 11. Jesus said after that... And this he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Verse 12, the disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken, had spoken of his death, but they were thinking he was speaking of literal sleep. Now listen to this statement, verse 14. So he uses a euphemism. He says he's asleep when, in fact, he meant he was dead. So they, taking it literally, say, oh, he's asleep, so we don't need to go. He'll wake up. He'll he'll recover. And Jesus says in verse 14, then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, this kind of blunt, matter-of-fact statement, we're going to move from sleep to the reality that I meant in those words. Lazarus is dead. Can you imagine that? He's sick. We need to go. Jesus delays, doesn't go right away. Then he says, hey, it's time for us to go, an expression of his sovereignty. When they begin to go, he says, hey, he's asleep. Well, we don't need to go then if he's just asleep. And then he plainly says, no, no, he's dead. And then he makes this statement in verse 15. Can you imagine this? And I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I want you to see what it says in verse 15. I'm glad. Jesus says, my friend has died. And attached to that reality, this audacious kind of statement, this this abrupt and stunning, and I'm glad. He didn't say, I, I regret that I tower- tarried too long. I wish I'd have gotten there sooner. He said, no, actually, I'm glad it happened this way because this is part of my purpose. My purpose is not only to glorify me, it's to grow you, verse 15, so that you may believe. This is a sovereignly designed circumstance so that their faith would grow. I am glad for your sake so that you may believe so that you may believe more and that you will understand better realities about me. That's the beauty of a sovereign God who is good, who loves you, you loving him, is that in difficult places, they are purposed. Jesus is glad. And he's glad because of the benefit that growth in faith 
provides for every believer. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, we have a plain principle that our Lord in his infinite wisdom and superabundant love set so high a value upon people's faith that he will not screen them from those trials by which that faith is strengthened. Jesus Christ, Spurgeon goes on to say, it's not glad because of our sorrow, but only on account of the result of it. He knew that this temporary trial would help his disciples to a greater faith, and he so prizes their growth in faith that he's even glad of the sorrow which occasions it. Here's a lesson from the one who controls it and who can change it. I want to do good through it. That's my purpose. I want to grow you. Listen, in this story, which I read earlier, Martha shows up, Jesus shows up, Martha comes to him, and her words were, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. When Mary meets Jesus, she falls at his feet in verse 32. She came to where Jesus was, and when she saw him, she fell at his face at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me tell you what would have happened after the Lazarus event. After he had died, after he was entombed, after he was dead four days, after the Savior came and had the stone rolled away and called Lazarus forth, their faith would have gone from, if you had been here, to it doesn't matter when you get here. Their faith would have grown. They would have recognized there's no boundary, there's no, there's no line, there's no line of time or reality that is going to interrupt God's capacity in Jesus Christ. There's something else I want you to notice. In Jesus' sovereign delay, he, he tarried two days extra. So he hears the message. He tarries two days. Again, that's part of his providential purpose. He wants Lazarus to be dead. He wants him to be dead four days so that there couldn't be an, a misunderstanding because in Jewish tradition, the spirit would linger over the body for three days. Same reason Jesus was in the tomb for three days so that it couldn't be something less than death. That once the three days go by, there is a, a, a sense of reality about death. And Lazarus has been dead four days when he arrives. And not only is that four days important to validate that he was dead, it's also important to give people time to come. Passover is about to come to Jerusalem. Bethany is two miles away from Jerusalem. So all the the Passover celebrators are coming to town and they're available to come support Mary and Martha in the death of their brother. So the volume of exposure to the work of Jesus Christ grows. So not only is the faith and the belief of this family elevated, but the impact of this, excuse me, reality is felt by those who come and witness it with them. In other words, the volume goes up in terms of impact and potential. Listen to John eleven forty five. after Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. John chapter 12, it reiterates that too. The great, verse 9, the great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, Jesus, 
and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death because on account of him, that's Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and they were believing in Jesus. All right, so here's the point I want to make. God's purpose in difficult places, the resurrection and the life, the reality controller, the reality impactor, don't care how severe your reality is has designed it in time and in space to bring glory to himself, growth to you, and impact to those around you, so that not only will your faith grow, but people will come to faith by seeing God's glory revealed in your difficulty in a way that exposes him and impacts them. The purpose of difficult spaces is designed to elevate God and transform you and transform those around you. Many believed. And the providence and purpose of God in the delaying allowed more people to see it, more allowed more people to gather to support Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus shows up and God's glory is displayed in undeniable ways. And not only did it affect the witnesses, wherever Lazarus went from that time on, because of his delay in the four days in this undeniable, miraculous power over death from the resurrection and the life, the story of it, Lazarus became a focal point of the glory of God, which continued to influence people in the work of God. So when people see you struggle, when they see you respond in a way to the work of God and he does his work in his time and in his way to expose his glory, to grow your faith, it affects those around you. That should be happening in your life today in these uncharted and unprecedented circumstances. The life giver, the death defeater, has authority, power, and ability. And he has a purpose for all of this. I hinted at this last week when I talked to you from our little elder Zoom to you. This is purposed. Leverage that purpose. Recognize what it is. Cooperate with the will of God and the Spirit of God for it. And listen, in this case, if Lazarus dies, what does he get to behold? the glory of God. And in the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, that was the heart of Jesus Christ when he sought his father in petition. Father, I desire, this is verse 24 of John 17, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, of which Lazarus would have been one, be with me where I am. That's what I want. That's the prayer of the high priest in order that they may behold my glory, not just in life, but in eternity. I pray that they might be with me where I am in heaven in order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. Let me tell you what Jesus wants. His children in his presence to see his 
unveiled glory, the greatest glory, fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore, God revealed in a way that this world and this life and our circumstances cannot display. And Jesus says, Father, that's what I want. So think about this. Mary and Martha, perhaps you praying for people that are sick and you don't want them to die. Lazarus dies. Where did Lazarus go? He would have been in the presence of God to behold the glory of God. And what what we need to understand is that when we're praying for relief, we may be praying contrary to the desire of God to transition a child of God into God's presence. I'm going to argue that perhaps the most unhappy person on Lazarus's resurrection day was Lazarus. Because instead of being in the presence of God, seeing the glory of God, which was the heart of the Son of God, he is now back living in a life where that glory is veiled. So I want to, I just want to conclude this morning with this fundamental point out of this passage, which is God has purpose in this, even the hardest things, even the, the challenges that result in significant loss. And his answer to your challenge would be the same answer that Martha heard. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you cared enough to come, this would have been fixed. And Jesus would say, no, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. I have the power and the capacity, which guarantees that people who believe in me, even if they die, they're going to live physically again. And I, I can go so far as to say in John chapter, 20, chapter 11, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me never dies. It goes from life to life. My question to you today is the same question he asked. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because if you believe this, it changes your interpretation of your reality. It changes your cooperation with the God who is exercising his sovereignty. She answered that question with these words, yes, Lord, verse 27, I have believed that, past tense, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. I think what she needed was a dose of present tense. I have believed it. I just haven't applied the implications of it into my present reality. So cornerstone on this Resurrection Sunday, a few highlights to challenge you with hopeful perspective. You have believed that he is who he says he is. Take that conviction and transition it into your present challenges and believe him again. Trust him today and let him expose his glory so that you will grow and people will see him for who he is. That's my desire for you today. That's my resurrection encouragement to you because he is not just alive from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you today for the gift and treasure of this text, and there's so much in it, so much revealed about who Jesus is, coming at the right time and in the right way into the midst of our difficulties in order to, to produce and prompt and work out purposes that have been formed 
for our good and his glory before the foundation of the world. And Lord, as, as circumstances revolve around us that are difficult to explain, and I am confident that there are people in our sphere, maybe even in the hearing of my voice, who are enduring difficult things, hard to understand things, don't you care God things. And I pray that you would strengthen their faith today. Because through this example, this preview of your power, there's also the perspective that you have purpose in it all to honor yourself and to grow us and to impact others through us and by the display of your glory. So leverage that to the end that Christ is honored and we know you better because you are the one who is able to raise the dead, the greatest enemy of all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Cornerstone, I hope you have a super Sunday. Better preacher than I am is coming up next. Uh, Tune in to gracechurch.org and enjoy Pastor John. God bless you on this Resurrection Sunday, and thank you for your patience today. Bye-bye.